Welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode on the Service Accommodation Property Podcast. Just to explain a couple of things, I am actually also videoing myself in the booth doing this episode of the podcast. I'm in Progressive Properties Recording Studio, one of their booths, um, the, the smaller one I've been crammed into, soundproof booth. And um, so, yeah, I'm going to be recording the episode for the podcast and I'm also uh, videoing it and I may or may not put the video out um, on my on my Facebook. I've got somebody on the line and what I did is I just said, look, whoever wants uh, a free mentoring call, mentoring coaching call, then subscribe to my podcast and the amount of people that that subscribed and said yes please for the free call and I explained that I would then uh, record and release the mentoring call as a podcast episode because this this way I can help an awful lot of people at the same time because what I find on my mentoring calls is quite often people are asking the same thing and 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 you know that's one to one type stuff and so I'm sure a lot of the listeners and perhaps people looking at this on Facebook will be able to uh, hear some of the questions that they've got uh, for themselves that they would love uh, to have answered. So that's that's the whole point of this. So people are getting that good uh, content, you know, let's face it, for free. So I've got uh, the lucky winner on the line, Ruta. Say hi, Ruta. Hi. Hi there. Now, just to explain to everyone, I've got Ruta on a loudspeaker on my phone so the audio quality isn't going to be as good but you know it's it's better than nothing and so perhaps in I've been speaking to the podcast team and they they've got uh, another way of doing it where they can connect all sorts of stuff gadgets and so it's going to make the the podcast quality uh, a lot better uh, but we're going to run with this because I thought about this literally over the weekend as which I I did my post and so I didn't give the team enough prior warning to get all their tech in in place. So be, without any further ado, Ruta, I'm going to uh, going to get you to ask your first question and see how I can help you in service accommodation. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you would like help with. Over to you, Ruta. Okay. Yeah, I'm a landlord of ten years, mainly HMOs. We've got some single lets as well. However, recently we decided to try and venture out into um, service accommodation. Of course, totally different kettle of fish to HMOs or what we've been doing. So we're learning every day. And uh, I've got some questions regarding mortgages because we are going to trial some of the properties that we own. So it's less pressure on us uh, rather than getting it from from agents or landlords, other landlords. Uh, and I have a question regarding buy-to-let mortgages because obviously all of them are on buy-to-let product. Um, how? What's the correct way to go about this? Do I need to inform the lender? Do I need to change the product? Um, how likely are they to give me permission to run it as I say? Or do you need to do such a thing? Or is insurance enough to, to cover you for any eventuality? How, how do you do it, Kevin? 
Okay, Ruta, so essentially you've got HMOs, you've got buy-to-lets, and you are wondering how feasible or how easy is it for uh, lenders to allow you to use the properties as service accommodation. Is that, that correct? Correct, yes. Okay, yeah. Right, so here's here's a really, really um, key thing. So uh, when there is a mortgage on a property, you have to get the lender's permission to use the property if it's going to be different to the initial um, uh, intention. Uh, so, so, you know, the mortgage might be residential. The mortgage might be uh, buy-to-let type product. The mortgage might be a HMO type product, a house of multiple occupation type uh, product, multi-let for those people that are not familiar with, with that sort of terminology. And so if you're going to change the use of the property, now I'm not talking about planning use here, I'm just talking about changing how a property is going to be used, um, then the lender has to be informed. Now, an awful lot of people decide to, I don't know, take a risk, if you like, or take a commercial decision not to inform the lenders. But a lot of lenders nowadays, or certainly, you know, I hear that some lenders out there are actually going out and checking on you know, portals like Airbnb and Booking.com to see whether or not any of their their properties on their books are being used um, for service accommodation. So I would much rather um, be doing it with a lender's permission rather than just worrying about um, them getting giving a, a, us a call. And so there are certain ways of speaking to an agent um, on this. Now, in fact, I'm just going to backtrack um a little bit before I talk into speaking to the agents um, in order to get permission. A massive no-no, it would be to acquire a property with a mortgage on a residential or buy-to-let or something like that and then use it as serviced accommodation. That's a massive no-no. That would be committing mortgage fraud and you can get blacklisted on the Council of Mortgage Lenders and not be able to get any more mortgages. You know, they can obviously call in the loan, which they're likely to do if they're not happy. And so I would definitely suggest that that's not a good idea for people getting into service combination to actually uh, acquire it with a, a mortgage product, which is not suitable for service combination. Now, when it comes to changing a property that let's say you've been using it for buy to let or HMO over into SA, then that the lenders aren't as strict in terms of um, if they find out, they're more likely un- under that scenario to say, look, you know, we know that you have been using it for buy to let and, and HMO. So we you haven't actually committed mortgage fraud, but uh, but you've you've we've can see that you've started to change or you've started using it differently um, when they sometimes they will actually say we're going to allow you to do that um, and then and not change the interest rate, for instance. Sometimes they might say we're going to allow you to do it, but you are gonna have to pay slightly more interest. And then sometimes they might say, you need to stop that. But what is not such an issue is is, is they're, they're less likely to actually say, do you know what, you're going to have to, uh, you know, we're going to call in the loan and, under that scenario. It's from being in and around service accommodation and speaking to lots of different people, that's not likely to happen. But let's face it, it's not uh, totally impossible. So... What we're going to do is just talk about belt and braces, how to make sure that you are completely covered and you're not ever worried about the phone ringing. So let's face it, the the most safe and secure way of doing that is to speak to the agent, uh, speak to the, the mortgage company. Now then, if you just phone a mortgage company and say, look, I want to do serviced accommodation, 
here's what's likely to happen is they're likely to just put to say no, put the phone down and then say to the colleague next to them, do you know what service combination is? Because I haven't got a clue. So that's what's likely to happen. Now, most of them don't understand what service accommodation is. It might just be someone in a call centre who started work that week. You know, they're they're not the actual um, knowledgeable people nine times out of 10 when you're phoning the call centres. So what you should do is ask in a different way. So you might suggest, can you do furnished holiday let with the property? Will they allow you to do furnished holiday let? That's a much better way of asking because they're more familiar with furnished holiday let. Now, a lender, they're always going to be most concerned about having the mortgage paid. And so that's going to be their primary concern. Is is this making sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. And so if you are in between tenants and you are worried about potentially, um, you know, being able to, to meet the mortgage payments because you're in between tenants and you're struggling to find a buy to let tenant, let's say, and you say to the lender, um, I would. I can earn some money and definitely have no issues paying the mortgage if I can do uh, short-term holiday let for a period of time. Then the lender's much more likely to say yes to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. And so the lenders, you know, you're going to have permission under that circumstance. Now, the other way of, of speaking to lenders, now quite often it's worth talking to a broker about this and a broker that knows the different lenders and an SA broker a broker that understands serviced accommodation because the brokers will know that um, the appetite that certain lenders have got to serviced accommodation. And so the another thing that you might consider doing is saying to the lender, will they allow a company let? Will they allow a company let? Now, guess what? Um, the company, it could, I, I think it's probably better for it to not be a company that you own or, or a shareholder in. But it's a company that is going to be doing serviced accommodation. And I would suggest or recommend that the company let is no longer than a year because for some reason, a lot of the lenders don't like a let of longer than one year. Okay. So can you do a company let? You've got a company who is going to guarantee paying the rent and the the amount that the company is guaranteeing to pay is above the minimum that the lender needs. So it's more often than not just worth just reflecting whatever the normal buy-to-let rent is because that's what the the lender um, did their calculations on in the first place. And um, the company is guaranteeing to pay that monthly rent for a a minimum of a year with the right to extend after a year. Now, the, the lender is much more likely to say yes to that than if you just phone up and say, can I do serviced accommodation? Okay. Does that make sense well, so far? Happened, yes, it does. But what would happen if you asked for details of that company that agreed to pay that rent? Well, then you give uh, details of the company. Okay. So they might say, what company is it? And, and it might be ABC Accommodation Limited. Um, and they're the company who are going to, you know, you, sh- you can send in the company let agreement. Okay. Okay. And you can send that into them. Now, those are the two ways I would suggest doing it. You're always going to make sure you change the insurance product over. If you get permission, you start using it as SA. Then you need a, an SA insurance broker to change it from HMO or buy to let or, or whatever you know insurance you've got on it over to an SA short-term holiday let type product. Your operating company, your limited company that you operate uh, with, that needs to have... Um, uh, limited liability 
insurance. So okay. you've got limited liability protection. Again, speak to the SA insurance broker on the best product for you. They'll ask you certain questions and, and tailor, may, uh, tailor a product for you. Uh, depending on your the way you're operating, they you know, the broker might um, suggest that you need public uh, or professional indemnity insurance, but that's depending on your own type of business. And let's face it, the broker as well, because different brokers have different opinions. So you've just got to be led by the professionals on that. But most of the time, you don't need professional indemnity insurance. Um, so that's sort of belt and braces type stuff. Now, if the lender still doesn't want to play, let's face it, you can change the product so there are more and more lenders out there that are happy to do serviced accommodation and i'm hearing you know 1.9 interest rates now on serviced accommodation 75 percent loan to value interest only circa two percent so these are very very competitive products so an awful lot of people are just trying to duck below the radar but being put completely upfront and honest and doing things above board is not something that people should, um, you know, not do. You know, they shouldn't shy away from it. As far as I'm concerned, it's much better to be able to sleep at night and not to worry about the phone ringing in my in my book. Sure. Does that um, help in terms of yes. changing property yes. into SA? you know, if you just get the correct insurance and that's enough, because as you say, as long as, um, you know, you meet your commitment to the lender. Yeah. But yeah, I'll um, give them a ring now so I know what I'm doing. Also, I have a question sort of sprouting off that uh, regarding council. Do you inform council and bills? How do you do with council bills and electricity bills? Are they in your company name? Are they in your personal name? How do you deal with that? It, this, that's an, it depends type scenario. So there's lots of different um, ways of dealing with that. So some some properties we have got um, and the company is liable for utilities, etc. And some properties, it's still in um, either our own name. So, I, you know, I've got buy to lets, I've got HMOs and some of the, the buy to lets and HMOs I've changed over into serviced accommodation. Um, and so quite often I'll just let uh, let sleeping dogs lie and I'll just leave it under the the, the same um, situation in terms of paying uh-huh. for utilities. Uh, for new acquisitions, we always just have the company, the operating company liable for the utilities, etc. Um, I don't know. Do you know what? Sometimes with um, um, certain utilities, you know, like broadband, it's actually easier just to not do it in a company because then they want to charge you stupid amounts. So it, it depends. You can, you can just ask for quotes actually and it might help to have a friend <laughs> phone up you know yeah. different companies um because they they might not have a tailor-made product for you and they think you're just this big um you know hotel chain and they're going to charge you a silly amount for broadband you know it's it's not worth doing it in a company in certain circumstances okay, okay. and the council council yes yeah, so now council is another scenario so here's the thing um, I don't, don't know if you've listened to the podcast episode on uh, that the rating surveyor did. Um, yes, I have. Yeah, so he makes the point that uh, a lot of councils are would actually prefer you to stay on council tax rather than going on to business rates. Now, business rates are, are collected by central government, and then it's sort of a, a, a percentage of that comes back to local government. But essentially, you know, local government isn't in control of business rates, um, and they don't get all of it. And so it's his opinion, this professional's opinion, that most councils prefer you to stay on uh, council tax. Now, then, 
what the point that he makes is that if you opt to go on to business rates as opposed to council tax, then you you know you can do so, and you you contact the VOA, so the valuation office agency at your local uh, uh, council, uh-huh. um, and you ask to be assessed for uh, business rates. And his okay. opinion is that. 80% of properties correctly assessed for business rates would actually be paying less than council tax. So a lot of people are sort of saying, oh, well, we need to try and avoid business business rates. Um, and actually, that's not informed and a formed, informed opinion. So here's the thing. If you do go on to business rates, you've got £12,000 of small business rates relief there. And so you can actually then claim small business rates relief and in most instances actually not pay uh, business rates either. So not only are you not going to pay council tax, you're not going to pay business rates. Now, each owning entity can have its own small business rates relief. So you might own property in your own name. Your partner might own property in his or her own name. You might own property in a limited company. You might operate property in a limited company. So on, on rent to SA, your operating company that has actually got the company let agreement, that is the company that is eligible or liable to pay either counter tax or business rates. And so that operating company can also get small business rates relief. So across multiple different owning entities and operating entities, they can all qualify for small business rates relief. Now, certain councils will allow an owning entity to have more than one uh, property qualified for small business rates relief. But you're going to be able to get at least one is the main point here, or pay council tax. And you shouldn't be afraid of business rates is the main uh, point that um, I'm making here. And if the VOA overestimates how much business rates your property um, should be paying, then you get in someone like a rating surveyor, an independent rating surveyor to go in and fight the case for you. And it would definitely be well worth doing that if you were going, if the alternative was paying too much business rates. But it's certainly not something that anyone should be afraid of. Right. OK. While we are on that subject, Kevin, would you touch on capital allowances as well? Setting up there, say. Of course. OK, so capital allowances. Capital allowances are reliefs that you get awarded once your property has qualified as serviced accommodation or furnished holiday let. So the, the, the two are slightly different, actually. So furnished holiday let, as far as HMRC is concerned, the property needs to be available for service accommodation use for 210 days and actually let for 105 days. So once you meet the the furnished holiday let criteria, then you can uh, apply for capital allowances. Now then, you need to get the right capital allowance surveyor because we've definitely had uh, people, capital allowance surveyors that have uh, underestimated a claim significantly. So we've kissed a few frogs on this. Um, we do. I don't give out my capital allowance surveyors details to everyone because... Um, I've got a couple actually, but they would be inundated. But you need to get recommendations from people um, on the right capital allowance surveyor uh, to use. And typically, a good capital allowance surveyor would be able to get between 30 and 35% of total expenditure as a capital allowance. So let's just break that down. If I'm just going to use round numbers here, if you've you know, bought a property for 80,000 and spent 20,000 on it, then your total expenditure is 100,000. And so you could be looking at £30,000 capital allowance on that. Now, what does that mean? It means that you can then earn £30,000 
uh, operating the property as service accommodation and pay no tax. You can offset that £30,000 against your capital allowance. Okay, so that's big handfuls on, on how capital allowances work. Do I understand that correctly, that you can only apply after you've been operating for 210 days? Yeah, that's, that's, the, okay. the, that's the point at which your property is going to qualify as, as serviced accommodation, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, can we go back a little bit, you know, talking to lenders, and you know when you said you've got a company that will pay more than, you know, standard um, rent than, than they're expecting. Um, do you have to have a company first that wants to do company-led, or can you speak to the lender first, saying, you know, that's what we're looking to do? Because obviously if they ask for proof and we don't have it yet, if we don't have anybody lined up, it does not look too good, does it? Yeah, so I, I would definitely recommend that you um, have a company and, and the conversation with the with the lender is that um, you've got a company, you're in between tenants, you're struggling to find a buy-to-let tenant uh-huh. and you've got a company that wants to come in and take it on right. a company let um, and that that company um, will provide a company let agreement and that company will be um, liable for the uh, monthly rent for a year which is X amount. That's the conversation okay. I would I would uh, have with the, the lender. Yeah, I understand that. And going from there then, what would be the best way to direct market to companies like that? To direct market to companies like that? Well, what I would uh, be tempted to do is um, joint venture um, uh-huh. with a an SA operating company. Yeah. And you can find an SA operating company in your uh, patch. Um, a good a good resource to use is the um, Service Combination Network Facebook group. There's an awful lot of SA operators uh, all around the country on there, and you can you can have a conversation with an SA operator that's got their own operating company and um, and discuss a joint venture where they would take the property on a on a company let. Now that you could go closer to home and have a joint venture with a business partner and the company's in their name, uh, the property's in yours. Okay, mm-hmm. but you would just probably to, to separate it, not not want to be um, a director or shareholder in that company. Right. Okay. Okay. And also, you know, the area that I'm looking at looks quite busy, uh, but good quality accommodation. How do I know there is room for another two properties of my own? Um, and what, well, uh, to be honest, I don't really mind where that is. I was about to ask where, but I don't really mind where. Here's the thing. Um, in any town or city, um, there is going to be demand for um, good quality serviced accommodation and the, you know the point I make there is not all service accommodation in these towns or cities is is high quality so if you coming coming in with a, a, a quality product then there's always going to be demand for it so I wouldn't worry okay. too much about when people go on to airbnbbooking.com and they see that there's other essays in the area because how many of those are scoring above nine on booking.com out of ten because yes, if you if you do yeah okay that's absolutely fine and again, on, on Airbnb, you, they need to be scoring above four and a half. So definitely above eight and a half on Booking.com, probably above four, four and a half on Airbnb. I would lean more towards above four and a half on Airbnb. And so here's the thing. If there is hotels in a town or a city, then guess what? There is demand for serviced accommodation. And people are going to go on to Booking.com more often than not looking for their short stay accommodation and nine times out of ten or more often than not they're actually got in mind a hotel but what's going to pop up is serviced accommodation as an alternative 
And definitely when people are looking for more than one hotel room, that's when the service accommodation unit is going to pop up on their page on the screen representing a, a discount or a saving to them because one one SA, say one bed or two bed, is normally going to come in cheaper than a hotel, you know, Premier Inn type standard. Okay. okay. And so that's that's when you're going to get bookings. Now, the other thing to consider is that the trend towards service accommodation is quite steep at the moment. Booking.com actually surveyed their customers and Booking.com are massive. So they they do 105 million room nights a day. Okay, they're massive. Now, they surveyed their customers. So an awful lot of people responded to the survey. And in 2018, 33% of them said that they would rather stay in serviced accommodation over a hotel. Now, last year, we're talking 2017, that was in the single figures. So the trend is significant towards serviced accommodation. Airbnb's uh, revenue at the moment is doubling year on year. So it's exponential growth. So where there are um, a number of SA units in a town already, guess what? That still isn't enough. It still isn't enough. And the other thing to consider here is that Section 24, the anti-landlord tax, hasn't really started to bite yet with an awful lot of buy-to-let landlords, okay? And HMO landlords. So they're they're no longer, once it's fully implemented year 2021, is that they're no longer going to be able to offset, you know, all their mortgage interest. Uh, They're only going to get 20% relief. And that's going to create, you know, the National Landlords Association have estimated over 600,000 buy-to-let and HMO landlords are going to become higher rate taxpayers. So yep. what, that's, what that means is direct-to-landlord type scenarios for rent to SA are going to become more and more attractive. And SA operators are going to be a really, really attractive proposition um, for these buy-to-let and HMO landlords. So going direct-to-landlord is a really, really key thing to do because... If you set up your uh, contract correctly with the landlord, so you use a a management agreement type scenario, definitely if you're able to fluctuate the monthly income that the landlord is getting, then they are going to be able to put their income forward as serviced accommodation, therefore avoiding Section 24 tax, therefore not becoming a higher rate taxpayer. And guess what? The golden bullet is they're also going to be able to claim capital allowances. So the capital allowances, it's not just once property is being used as service combination. So a lot of people think, OK, I've got to buy a property to then get capital allowances. It actually doesn't matter when the property was bought. When the property is becomes uh, used as service accommodation, then the capital allowance surveyor will work out the total expenditure sum and work out all the plant and machinery that is being brought into service accommodation use and then work out the capital allowance claim. So financially, it's going to be significantly uh, better for landlords to give their properties to SA operators like you and me. And so we're literally, it's a perfect storm. Section 24, capital allowances, the trend towards service accommodation is a perfect storm. And so what I would suggest to you is not to worry that there are SA operators already in your town or your city. There's plenty of demand and it's a case of making hay and getting stuck in. Excellent. 
Can I ask one sundry question as well, Kevin, if we have a minute? We, we'll probably go for one one more question, um, okay. Ruta, and, um, because I, I like to keep the, the podcast episodes around uh, half an hour, you know, on this type of format. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll go for that. We'll go for one more. Yeah, it's obviously we try to do the best for our guests and provide as much as we can and think of all the details. So by offering breakfast, you know, I'm not talking cook breakfast or anything like that, just dry you know, sort of cereal, oats, and maybe some biscuits. Um, it's not going to take us to different use class in planning, is it? From C3 to C1? No. Um, so it's, it's it's good that you mentioned the planning use class. I'll, I'll cover this as quickly as I possibly can and, and answer that question at the same time. Um, so most, most people operating serviced accommodation are doing it with properties that are C3. Okay, so normal residential use. That doesn't mean mean owner-occupier use. It just means residential as opposed to business-type um, use, okay? And so in nine, most scenarios, C3 is actually the most appropriate use class for property uh, being used as serviced accommodation. Now, where the use class um, needs to be different is where people are operating SA and the, the, the use of the property looks and feels more like uh, a B&B guest house. Okay. Right. So if somebody is using a house and they are letting it out to SA guests by the room, so people that are not connected to each other, they're arriving at different days, different, you know, they're different cars, they, they're totally separate bookings. Then they are operating by the room and then the most appropriate use class for that is C1. And a lot of people are, are, have got C3 properties and they're using it by the room and, and actually they could fall foul of, of planning um, on that scenario. Okay. OK, so here's the thing. There's always grey areas. Now, if you are um, C3 and you decide to start offering uh, uh, food, then that's not on in itself going to move you across into guest house B&B. Not in itself. Right. Uh, it's only if you start, um, you know, of, of definitely operating by the room um, that you are going to move into that territory. And there's there's different criteria about what constitutes a material change of use. And so th those are parking. It's a significant increase to parking, rubbish, um, you know, party type activity, um, comings and goings at different times of the day and night. If you fall foul of several of these different things, then that might constitute material change of use. But if you are not significantly, then guess what? You can stay under the same use class. Now then, the only thing that I will say about offering um, sort of continental type breakfast scenarios uh -huh. and not cooked is you're going to need to have the right insurance. And so you, you should speak to your broker to make sure that you are insured. It is definitely an area that um, would cause me concern. If you've got experience in furnished holiday let type um, and actually genuine holiday let type activity uh, where you're providing food and other type of things, then that's OK. Um, I would much rather um, just not ever worry about somebody eating the wrong food, allergic reactions, food okay. that might become become out of date because then you, you're going to have to have some robust insurance in place. And sure. and so it's definitely a simpler scenario to not go there. OK, that's fine. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. And uh, to, as far as I'm concerned, the appeal for people to use serviced accommodation is that 
they it's a self-contained property and they've got their own kitchen you know they've got obviously got their own lounge um but it's a self-contained kitchen yes provide some teas and coffees for their initial check-in and some milk you know long life type stuff um be insured for that um but you're not going to get people leaving you a bad review saying there wasn't any muesli okay um (laughs) only if you promise something and you don't provide it are you going to get a bad review so uh, you know it's something to consider could it be your usp but it's not something that i think uh is 100 percent necessary okay excellent well thank you very much for that i feel a lot better now about a lot of things okay ruta well hopefully that that was useful uh it's my absolute pleasure thank you for subscribing to my podcast and for all the listeners out there hopefully you found that useful too there's probably a lot of questions there that that you uh, would love to have asked too and so that should be of benefit and so for everybody here's to your success in serviced accommodation thanks for listening to the serviced accommodation property podcast if you have any suggestions on future content for this podcast please message kevin via his facebook page property soldier 